pastors. They're two of the best pastors in the history of the world. Amen. Pastor Greg and Glenna. Amen. We love them very much. Appreciate their, their friendship over the years and uh, glad to have uh, Pastor Greg's uh, mom and dad here this morning. I saw them sitting over there. And uh, they, they really are old friends. I mean, really, it's old. <laughs> Amen. Uh, so we're super blessed to be back. And uh, we always bring some uh, ammunition, you know, books and CDs and stuff like that. While we're here, everything's always half price because y'all are just such a wonderful blessing to us. So here's the brand new book that we have called Feed Your Faith. And uh, we are celebrating 50 years of ministry, over 50 years. So 50 years preaching. 50 years of preaching. Uh, uh, you know, we got into the hotel late last night, and I was like, 50 years. Sometimes it feels exactly like 50 years. <laughs> Hotels all over, and so we're uh, blessed to have had 50 years of preaching the gospel. And, and uh, so this book is Quotes on faith and who you are in Christ, uh, uh, 50 years of quotes. So it's real simple and real easy to read. It's a brand new book called Feed Your Faith. So if somebody had been preaching 50 years, you ought to read the best quotes, right? All right, so that book's back there. I can give somebody this free one right here, Matt, who you want to give that to? Uh, somebody that looks smart. All right. And then... Um, uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about your identification with Christ and who you are in Christ. So we have a couple of books about that. This is our first one called Taking Your Place in Christ. And um, Gloria Copeland, Kenneth Copeland's wife, Gloria Copeland said, you've got to read this book over and over. Jesse Duplantis and then Lynn Hammond, Mac and Lynn Hammond said, you've got to read this book on who you are, what you have in Christ. So I don't know if you have that yet, but give that to somebody. There's your free one. And then we have, a, believe it or not, we've been preaching on this for 50 years, but we have a brand new set of uh, messages on that, brand new set called A Man in Christ. That's what Paul called himself, is a man in Christ. So it's a brand new set of messages, three messages, and this is on CD. So some of you may have a CD player. If you don't have a CD player, you can actually download these messages from the app. So you just download Mark Hankins Ministries app on your smartphone. All the messages are on there free. The app is free. So you just get it all on the app. You don't have to buy anything. Uh, but if you have a CD player and you want to buy the CD, then this is a brand new set uh, on who you are in Christ, a man in Christ. So brand new. Wow. So, I mean, after 50 years, you, you can actually get something new out of that. Amen. All right, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to receive the offering this morning. Do we have any, any, any cheerful givers? I was wondering if we had any cheerful givers. Amen. Uh, so something about giving and generosity and giving primarily into the gospel. Everybody say the gospel. And so when is, uh, you're given to the gospel, I know there's many different causes that people come up with, and some of them are good. But the greatest cause and purpose of our generosity is into the gospel of Christ, into the gospel of Christ. Yes. Amen. In other words, you and I, God has called us to actually finance the preaching of the gospel in our generation. Amen. So that means you and I get to be partners together with God in this eternal message 
and eternal people's lives, people's souls, eternal. And so our giving to the gospel, so Paul talks about this really quite often in his letters and 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 is one of the areas, really does two whole chapters on the giving of the believer. And when you're a believer, he says, here's how you give. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says in verse uh, 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, and uh, he says, as you abound in everything, he's talking to Christians and believers, you abound in everything. He says, your faith, uh, King James used the word utterance, it just means you're preaching or you're teaching. He says, you abound in faith, you abound in your preaching, your teaching. He says, you abound in knowledge, you abound in diligence. And you abound in your love to us. And then he adds this line, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. See that you abound in this grace also. So I underline that in my Bible. But he says here, the grace of God in our lives is abundant, amazing grace. And uh, he said, you're doing really excellent in the grace of God when it comes to your faith, your preaching, your teaching, your knowledge, your love. He said, but see that you abound in this grace also. So what grace is he talking about here? Well, you read the two whole chapters, he's talking about really our financial generosity and our giving to the gospel. So he says, see that you abound in this grace also. I don't, uh, if this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, then it must be important that you and I abound, not just financially, but also it is important to us spiritually to abound in the grace of God in the area of our giving. Amen? So he says, see that you abound in it, which means you will not abound in it accidentally. Amen? If you want to abound in it, that means uh, be excellent. Our one translation says that you come to the front. You become well known for your generosity. I mean, if you're a generous person, you will become well known for that. <laughs> the word to get out. That's a generous person right there. Amen. So he says, see that you abound, come to the front in this grace also. Well, since he calls giving grace, grace involves God's favor, God's blessing, and involves God's ability, right? And so the Lord told me one time, he said, if you'll abound in this grace, he said, one day you'll look at your checkbook and go, amazing grace. Y'all still here? How many, how many of you like to look at your checkbook and go, amazing grace? So he said, one day you'll drive up in front of your house and you'll go, amazing grace. Amen. All right, come on. What, your, your lifestyle reflects the blessing of God. So he said, the grace of God will abound. And he said, you abound in the grace of giving. So your giving actually affects uh, the grace of God in that area. Uh, one time the Lord said it to me this way. He said, your, your generosity will access God's generosity. Amen. Amen. I may believe God's generosity could really outdo your generosity. Yes. Amen. So, so being generous. So Paul's really talking here about how to access the grace of God in the area of your finances. And how many believe you could actually do that? Well, you know, there's a lot of ways, you know, thank God, a lot of ways we can learn about the grace of God. But if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, which is the next chapter over, in verse 6, Paul is still talking about 
this grace. He's still talking about giving. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, can you find that? Here's what it says. This I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So here he's calling your giving, sowing. And he said there is a harvest involved. There's a return. How many think Jesus can bring a return? I mean, Luke 6.38, Jesus said what? Give and what's going to happen? You're going to go broke? No. He said, give, and it's going to come back pressed down, shaking together, running over. How many ever can have had that kind of experience? When you're given, it comes back pressed down, shaking together. That's what he said. And Paul actually says the same thing. When you sow, when you give, he said, if you sow sparingly, it's going to come back the same way. He said, but if you sow bountifully or generously, it's going to come back generously. So who's in charge of the harvest? Not God. I'm in charge of the harvest. I determine whether I'm going to be sparing or whether I'm going to be generous. Now here's kind of the way the Lord explained it to me. Um, he said, if your sowing doesn't affect you much, neither will your harvest affect you much. Or let's say it this way. He said, if your giving don't affect you much, neither will your harvest affect you very much. You're receiving. So giving and receiving are connected. So your giving is going to affect your receiving. So he says here, he calls uh, giving, he calls it sowing, which means I call it farming money. In other words, if you know how to farm money, you should be able to get a harvest. Amen. He said a harvest will come to you. So you're farming money. My daddy used to say, you think money grows on trees. Said, well, if you plant it right, it will. So he said, it'll come back with a harvest of blessing, right? So you and I actually should expect a harvest. But if you're sowing sparingly, how's it going to come back? Sparingly. Some people say, well, I'm waiting on my harvest. I say, you may have already gotten it. You just didn't recognize it. So but when you sow generously, bam, it's going to hit you. I don't know if we have any believers in here, but how many have ever been hit with like a supernatural harvest that you say, uh, that's amazing grace right there. I know that came from the Lord. Come on, that's more than just my work. Come on, more than just my uh, education. That's the grace of God. Look what the grace of God is. Amen. So he says, your giving is sowing. You can actually expect a harvest. Then he says in verse 7, you got your Bible there, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, everyone. Who would that include? Everyone. Every man, everyone, everybody, everybody, everybody. Who's everybody include? Well, apparently you cannot get exemption for this. I know you just paid your taxes, but you cannot get an exemption. <laughs> I said you cannot get an exemption from giving. Some people say, well, I'm struggling financially. That's when you really need to give. Amen. I said, well, I'm poor. Boy, you better give your way out of it. Amen. Amen. If you're rich, you, you really ought to give because you want to let the, God, let the Lord know that, that money's not your God. Amen. All right, I got three more nods and I got an amen, all right? So he says, everyone according as they purpose in their what? what? Heart. So your giving's not just your hand involved. He said, your heart. 
Actually, Jesus said, where your treasure is, then that's where your heart is. Uh, Billy Graham said that years ago. He said, uh, show me your checkbook and I'll tell you what you love. All right, let's try that one more time. Show me your checkbook. Come on, or your credit card. Come on, or your finances. Show, show me your bank account and I'll tell you exactly what you love. If you love your wife, it should be in there. All the women, I got two amens for the women. If you love your wife... And there ought to be some spending, right, on your wife. If you love hunting, how many think that would be in there? Oh, it's going to be in there, man. If you love clothes, it's going to be in there. If you love cars and trucks, man, it's going to be in there. In other words, where your treasure is, in other words, you can follow the money trail and find out exactly what people love. Wow. Well, if you love God, all right, let's try it one more time. We got an amen, one yes. I said, if you love God, amen, if you love the Lord, if you love the word of God, you love the preaching of the gospel, man, that ought to, that ought to show up real clear in your giving. Amen. Amen. So he says, everyone, as you purpose in your heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves what? All right. Let's see if we can have some other translations of that. God loves a cheerful giver. One translation actually says a laughing giver. Uh, now, offering time usually is more like a funeral service than any other time. In most churches, when you start receiving the tithe of the offering, boy, it gets really quiet. Huh? But God loves a cheerful hilarious, happy, laughing, prompt to do it, giver whose heart is in his giving. Now, how can you give and get happy about it? I, I, I knew that would get a quiet moment there. I said, how can you be a giver and actually get happy about it? We're going to try that one more time. How, how can the offering time become a real happy time? Somebody said, make it really short. How could the offering time become a real happy time? Because God loves that. Well, who are you giving for anyway? If God loves it and you know God's paying attention, you ought to go, well, I'm fixing to get happy about this giving. Amen. Amen. It, it represents my time, my talent, my work, you know. Amen. My future. And so uh, God loves it. God loves it. God really loves it. God loves it. God loves it. Come on. He doesn't just tolerate it. He don't just kind of check it out. He absolutely loves it. He just absolutely loves. God loves. God loves. God loves offering time at church. God loves that time. He loves that time. Amen. Some people say, well, I love singing. Well, God said he loves giving. Amen. People give God a lot what they love instead of what he loves. Thank you for your enthusiasm. I said, people give God what they love. Let me tell you what I love about church. They give God. But God himself, he loves the giving part of the gospel and the giving part of Christianity. He loves it. Amen. 
And so if God loves it, I'd take it pretty serious if God really liked it. Because if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. I mean, I said, if you get happy about generosity and about giving. So how in the world can you give and come prepared to give, plan to give, and enjoy the giving part? Well, two ways. Number one is you have a, a purpose in your giving. You understand the purpose. The purpose of your giving is so the gospel of Christ, the word of God, in our generation can be uh, distributed. Like Brother Hagin said, the, the gospel is actually free, but water is free, but it does take some money to get it piped into your house. Are y'all still? In other words, money, you know, the gospel is just simply you and I are piping the gospel out on television, radio, in the church, you know, on books and CDs, piping it to Africa, piping it to India, piping it around the world. In other words, you're just a part of the piping process <laughs> because the gospel itself is free. Water itself is free. Amen. And so, if you really want to get happy, number one, you understand the purpose of your giving. It's the one thing that you do that has an eternal purpose. I said an eternal purpose. And the stock never goes down. Let's try it again. Come on. Amen. Now, you know, uh, we take our giving serious, but I also, you know, uh, over the years, put a little money in mutual funds, you know, and save up some money. And so you do that for 50 years, you come up with a little bit of money here and there. <laughs> Amen. So we put a lot in mutual funds. But um, just a few years ago, I told my secretary, I said, open up because we had people give to the ministry and they would give us stock, you know. And so we'd cash in the stock and use it to preach. And, and so... Um, Somebody gave, uh, we, why don't we get some stock in uh, Apple, Apple stock. So we had $800 in Apple stock. Well, I had to open up a stock account, so I said, we'll just get $800 of Apple stock, and then we'll have that account ready. People give stock. I had people give $300,000 worth of stock before into the gospel. So I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, 2 or $3. So I got... <laughs> Apple stock account, $800. I looked at it yesterday, and uh, it's uh, worth $24,000 right now. Well, I just put $800 in there. Now I got $24,000. Y'all still here? Thank you for your enthusiasm. I, I, did, I said, I only put in $800. Now I got $24,000. That's just the Apple stock. I wonder what uh, kingdom stock will do for you. I mean, what? I mean, I, I mean, believe God's kingdom stock ain't going down. It just keeps going up, keeps going up. Amen. I, I was watching a TV show years ago about the guy who had the most expensive lawnmower in America. And so I thought, wow, that's interesting. So I, I, was, I watched it, and uh, the guy had the most expensive lawnmower. They call it a million-dollar lawnmower. And I thought, a million-dollar lawnmower. So I thought, that's crazy. So they actually went out to this guy's house. He lived out in the country in Arkansas. And uh, they went out to his house. He's sitting on the front porch with his hound dog. And they interviewed him, to, uh, and they said, uh, we understand you've got the most expensive lawnmower in America. 
He said, absolutely. I've got the most expensive lawnmower in America. Does he mind if we see it? Well, sure. So he comes off the porch and walks out, you know, a little ways from his house. And underneath the tree, there was a, um, there was a riding lawnmower covered with a tarp. <laughs> so he pulled it off the tarp, and it was like a rusty, rusted out, red riding lawnmower, rusted out. They said, that's a million-dollar lawnmower? He said, yeah. He said, let me tell you the story. He said, years ago when uh, Sam Walton started Walmart, I had $600, $600 in Walmart stock. And one day I was walking downtown, and I saw this bright red riding lawnmower for $600. He said, I'd sure like to have that red riding lawnmower. So he said, I took my stock out of Walmart and I bought that $600 lawnmower. <laughs> it sure was fun for a little while. <laughs> he said, but if I'd have left my stock in Walmart, it'd be worth $1 million today. You better not be cashing in your stock from the kingdom of God, you know, and say, I'd rather have, you know, my pleasure today. Are y'all still here? I want to get what I want today. No, if you invest in the kingdom of God, I mean, the stock is going up. It's going to keep multiplying. And one day you're going to say, I'm sure glad I took care of my giving to the gospel. Amen. It has paid off the best dividends. Amen. So he said something about that generosity and giving. Of course, I, my dad was a pastor, so, so he taught us early, early. I mean, real early. I can't even tell you how early. We just little kids, and my daddy taught us about money, about putting God first in your money. If I mowed a yard, I mowed a yard and got some money, $5 maybe, $3, my daddy would figure my giving for me. I mean, I'm probably eight years old, nine years old. He'd say, now, how, how much is your tithe? I'd say, well, you know, $5, 50 cents. He said, so how much offering are you going to give? I said, none. <laughs> I said, you already got 50 cents. And he said, no, you need to give an offering because uh, your tithe and your offering, that's where your generosity comes in. So he taught me not just to be a tither. He taught me to be a giver. Amen. It's, it's not mandatory. People say, well, do I have to tithe off the net or can I tithe off the gross or can I tithe after taxes or before taxes? My take home or how much they're actually paying me? Do I, what do I have to tithe off of? Well, if you only tithe off the net, you're basically saying the government gets my first fruits. But if you tithe off the gross, you're saying God gets my first fruits. Are y'all still here? So I'm not trying to figure the least amount to tithe off of. I'm not saying, well, let me get the smallest amount. I'm just trying to say, Lord, I want to be a generous giver. I understand that you love that. Let's try that one more time. I said, I understand that God loves that. Come on, who are you doing it for anyhow? God loves it. Amen. And somebody asked me one time, say, how are you doing? I said, well, I'm going to be doing fine if God don't go blind. I said, I know he can see. Let's try it again. I said, I know he can see. So if he loves giving, he's going to like me. <laughs> I know he can see, and I know he can count. He's got a book called Numbers. <laughs> and here it says he's going to multiply 
he must be able to count. He said he's going to multiply my seed sown. All right, I better quit. Some of y'all are getting a little too happy, I see. So, so he says, he says, God loves cheerful, hilarious giving. Amen. And then he says, what's the next verse say? God is able to make all grace abound. See that you abound in this grace. God is able to make what? All grace abound towards you so that you have what? All sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Woo! Come on. Amen. In other words, you're able to give and be generous, and God's able to make all. God must be planning on you doing really good. Let's try that one. I said, God must be planning on us doing really good, amen, because I know he wants me to live good, amen, and he wants me to give good. He must be planning on me doing real good, amen. 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 Can you say ha-ha? God loves what kind of giver? Ha-ha. All right, number one is you understand the purpose. If you don't understand the purpose, people will talk you out of your giving. People say, why are you giving so much? You know, I have a professional tax guy that did my taxes years ago, and I had to fire him. But he did my taxes years ago. He came in my office, and he said, how come you give so much? I said, I love it. He said, well, you give too much. That's what he told me. I said, well, I'm paying you. Well, what's that bother you for? You're getting paid. Maybe I'll pay you too much. But he had the nerve to tell me, he said, you give too much. I said, well, thank you. He said, why do you give so much? I said, well, that's why I have too much. Figure that with your pencil. I give too much, and then I still have too much. Let's try that again. I said, I give too much, and I still have too much. Let's try it one more time. I said, I give too much, but I still have too much. My house is too big. My closet is too big. I have too many clothes. I've got too many shoes. I've got too many trucks. My jet is too big. You should laugh. You say, jet? Yeah, my jet's too big. Come on, my church is too big. I have too much property. I own too much. In other words, the Lord said to me, he said, you can give more than you've ever given and still have more than you've ever had. Amen. All right, let's try that one more time. And how many of y'all fixing to get happy right now? In other words, you've got, a, you've got a purpose with your giving, but you also have a promise. What's the promise? Jesus said it's going to come back pressed down, shaking together, running over. Come on, Paul said God's going to multiply that seed song. Amen. I went to Kenneth Hagin's camp meeting because such a blessing. He taught us faith, and I went to his camp meeting usually every year. Well, that particular year, I brought, I brought a $100,000 offering. I had grown. I used to take 100, 500. Finally, the Lord blessed me. I was able to bring a $100,000 offering. Man, I was happy. I was so happy. I thought, I'm going to sow a seed. Somebody said, the hole you give through is a hole you receive through. 
So I said, I'm fixing to knock a big hole right now. Bam! <laughs> so I said, I'm going to sow. I'm going to give it. So I gave 100000 And on the way home, then the thoughts started coming to my mind. How many ever had thoughts come to your mind? Man, thoughts started coming to my mind. A little bit of like. And the devil said, what are you going to do if all that giving don't work? I went, well, it's going to be sad. <laughs> so the devil said, what are you going to do? All that giving don't work. And the Lord stopped me right in the middle of that, and he said, don't allow the enemy to intimidate you. He said, you say back to the devil, devil, what are you going to do when it does work? All right, come on now. What? What you going to do when it does work? Don't tell me what I'm going to do if it don't work. What you going to do when it does work? I'm a tither. I'm a giver. And God opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing I don't have room enough to receive. Woo! That's what he said will happen. You're tithing. You're sowing. You're giving. God said, I'll open. Come on, something that would have been closed. But now it's open. Let's try it one more time. Something that would have been closed, but God said, I'll open the windows of heaven. Pour out a blessing. You don't have room enough to receive it. Do yourself a favor. You ain't doing me no favor. I'm not trying to be a smart aleck, but I actually had money before I met you. <laughs> Do yourself a favor. Come on. And be a tither and be a giver to the gospel. Amen. When you do that, I'm thank God my dad, my mom, they made sure we did it when we were young. They gave me any money, here, let's put God first. Let's put God first. I said, let's put God first. I said, let's just put God first. Come on. Come on, you get that money coming in your little hot hands. Come on. My daddy went, to, went home to be with the Lord. When he went home to be with the Lord, mom went home to be with the Lord. Well, my dad had some money saved up, so he gave all the kids some money. Oh, we didn't have a whole lot, you know. I mean, I think we got maybe $300,000 each. That's not a whole lot, but it's better than nothing. So my dad had some money saved up, and all the kids got 300000 each. So there's a guy that managed all those accounts. The guy that managed those accounts, he'd been managing them for years. So I called him up and I said, look, how much money I got? He told me how much in that account, 300000 I said, well, send me 30% of it. He said, what? I said, I'm a tither's 10%, then, I, then I'm a double tither, which is 20%, and then years ago I decided to be a triple tither, which is 30%. Yeah. So send me 30% of that money. I said, I'm going to have to put it into the offering. And he said, here's what the best, he said, I've been an investment advisor for so many years, and not once has anyone ever asked for 30% of that investment money. I don't want to retire, come on, with money that don't belong to me. Come on, I came into my hands, I'm going to put it in God's hands. And when I get old and gray-headed, God will take care of me. <laughs> Woo! Are y'all still here? The first fruits of all my increase. 
Once it comes into my hands, you better get it out of your little, what do you call it? Your little sticky fingers. <laughs> Amen. So you don't spend it. Amen. Some people say, well, you know, I'm really just a frugal person. Frugal. Frugal. Here comes frugal. <laughs> Don't expect much out of them. Here comes frugal. Oh, frugal's really good at Walmart. It just don't work well in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, the thing that works is generous. The great thing about generous is anybody can do it. You don't have to be rich to be generous. Woo! How many of you like to get in that generous department? God, God is able to make all grace. Let's lift our hands up. Father God, you're the source of our supply. You are the source. And Father God, you take care of us in grand style. Thank you, Lord. You're our very own Father. You supply all of our need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you're our shepherd and we do not want, we do not lack. We do not lack for ability. We do not lack for opportunity. We never lack for money. We never lack for money. We're sowers. We're givers. We're tithers. Thank you, Lord, into the gospel, into the kingdom of God. Lord, you said you multiply that seed that is sown. You make all grace abound towards us, that grace towards us, our children, our grandchildren, our families. Thank you for a whopper of a harvest, a harvest of an abundance that comes in, that our jobs are blessed, families are blessed, we are blessed, and we're well able to be a blessing, amen, to the gospel. In Jesus' name, everybody shout amen. Woo! Amen. So there's just one offering this morning. So you're regularly giving to the church. And if you're giving a special offering to Mark Hankins Ministries, I think you put that on your envelope and put guest speaker or something like that. Praise the Lord. Amen. God bless you as you give. I think Trina's going to come up here and sing. Praise the Lord. And preach. I don't know. When she's finished, I'll get back up. But I do want to testify. How many of y'all have a testimony this morning? Amen. Praise God. So good to be here. Good to see y'all's faces again. A few new faces and um, uh, happy. We're family, amen? It, I can hardly imagine that it's been a year since we were here. Goodness, a year goes by quick. Amen. But um, I leaned over to Pastor Glenna while y'all were singing and playing your instruments and everything. And I said, these babies grew up. <laughs> We've been coming so long. I don't know how many years it's been. <laughs> we are not getting any older, Mark and me. We're just the same, right? But... Uh, those kids are getting older. <laughs> and I, I thought, oh, my goodness, just listen to you all sing and play and your instruments. It's incredible. I'm so proud. I feel like Grandma. Everybody. <laughs> I just, oh, just look at them here. You know, such excellence in everything. Isn't that good? Aren't you blessed? Yeah. Praise God. Give them a hand. Wow. Thank you. And that doesn't come overnight, but just jumping in and just, you're just 
keep on going year after year and yielding your bodies to be an instrument for God to flow through and use you. Just gorgeous. Absolutely good. I just feel the presence of the Lord in this room. Amen. And then you have your very own pastor. That was such, thank you for singing. That was so good. And I love that song. So beautiful. Thank him. Thank you, Lord. Let Jesus be preached every which way we go. Amen. And your pastor's going to India following this week. Praise God. Are you praying for them? <laughs> they told us where they were going. We said, oh, boy, that's a long trip. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. But you know what? People will be there. I said, oh, Glenna, there's some tiny people coming. Their hands are only like this big. you know. But they come from all around that part of India from different countries. Nepalese, the Bhutan, all over, just to hear and be trained in the word of God, who they are in Christ, and bring it back to their countries. Amen. So your church is investing in people you don't even, will never meet until we all get to heaven. Amen. Praise God. And thank you for being a partner with our ministry too. We appreciate you so much, and we look forward to coming back to this church. Freedom Word. Amen. This week is going to be powerful. It already has been this service. Hallelujah. We believe the presence of the Lord wherever he comes. He sets us free, and he brings us a little higher, and we get to know Jesus better. Amen. And I believe your family, your body, your finances will just go to a new level. Amen. Any agreement going on here? Yes, amen. Praise God. And the first thing we're going to look at, Mark said he's going to teach out of his book, um, Taking Your Place in Christ, I think. That was his very first book. And um, it capsulized the message that gripped him when he was 17 years old. I'm so glad for that. Because he was headed the wrong way. But when he had a revelation of who he is in Christ, praise God, he started going the right way. And that's where I met him. Amen. And when he started preaching, I thought, I want to hook up with that. And so we've been together for almost, what, 47 years? Changes every year. Yep. <laughs> Just keep on going. Amen. And Paul said these words in Galatians 2.20. This is the Passion Translation. I love it. It says, my old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah and no longer lives. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life. Through me. I can hardly say that without crying. It's so good. Amen. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God, who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. Praise God. Hallelujah. 
So when he sees you and me, he doesn't see what we used to be. He sees us. Lord, for your word today, your word forever settled in heaven. We receive your word with meekness, fresh revelation. Thank you for that. We trust the Holy Spirit to teach us, to lead us, guide us into all truth. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, everybody shout amen. Woo, praise the Lord. You can sit down for a minute if you want. Amen. Praise the Lord. Wow, well, this won't take long. won't hurt a bit. You heard that last time you were at the dentist. <laughs> all right. Wow. Uh, we want to talk about who you are in Christ or your identification with Christ. And as Trina said, that message changed my life when I was 17. Heard Kenneth E. Hagin, Dad Hagin, teaching on the subject of faith. And uh, he taught us faith and he uh, set me free from the fear of repetition. <laughs> he taught on the subject so much I thought he ran out of sermon material. But I found out that that was his assignment was to go and teach my people faith. So one of the things he taught us was that uh, he called it seven steps to the highest kind of faith. So he said, if you want your faith to function on its highest abilities, he said, number one is you need to know your redemption in Christ or who you are in Christ. So he said, one of the ways you'll find that out is you go through Paul's letters. Uh, he said, one of the best ways to study the New Testament um, many ways to study the Bible. He said, but my favorite way to study the New Testament is to go through Paul's letters or Paul's revelation, which would be Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, those letters. He said, those are letters that are um, written to the church post-resurrection. In other words, after the death and resurrection of Christ, Paul's revelation tells you what happened, what God saw in Christ. So he said, every time you see the two words, in Christ, in him, in whom, he said, circle and underline those two words and go through Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians. Every time you see the two words, in Christ, in whom, in him, in Christ, in him, in whom, in Christ, in him, in whom. Well, I was 17 years old, so I'd studied the Bible many ways, uh, gone to church all my life, and so... Uh, I decided just to do what he said. So I went through Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and I studied the two words in Christ, in him, in whom. And I found out there's about 130 of those, about 130 in Christ scriptures, in Christ, in him, in whom. And he said, every time you see the two words in Christ, he said, circle underlines those words because those words describe something you are or something you have because as a Christian, you are now in Christ. And he said, you just look a lot better in Christ than you do outside of him. So he says, you're now in Christ or God sees you through the cross, through the blood, through the death, through the resurrection of Christ. God sees you in Christ. So some theologians would call that a uh, positional, positional place is your position is now in Christ. But really, it's more than just a positional thing. It really is a spiritual reality. So every time you see the two words in Christ, it describes something you are, something you have, because when you made Jesus your Lord, you are now in Christ. Amen. So one writer even said you have been in Christed, in Christed, or, or the, the two words in Christ, really you just have a preposition, in, and the word Christ. We know Christ is not Jesus' last name, that Christ 
means the Messiah or it means the anointed one and his anointing. Amen. So when you make Jesus your Lord, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says what happened is if anyone, anyone is in Christ, they become a new creature. Old things have passed away and everything has become new. So Paul's definition of what happened when you made Jesus your Lord, you could say, I got saved. That's a really good definition. You could say, I've been born again. That's really good. I've been born again. One translation says, I've been refathered. That's pretty good. I got saved. How many of y'all got saved? I'm saved. All right, I've been born again. Or I've been refathered. <laughs> or I have received eternal life. But Paul's number one terminology when you made Jesus your Lord is you are now in Christ. So he uses that phrase 130 to 160 times, but really there's only about 35 of those scriptures that are super significant. Only about 35. Some of them are greetings and stuff like that. So you just find the significant 35 scriptures. So I got the significant 35 when I was 17 years old. <laughs> Shocked my mother because my dad and my dad and four deacons had just come and got me out of jail. <clears throat> uh, so <clears throat> I decided it'd be a good time to make a change. And I found out changing myself was going to be a problem, but not for God. Amen. So <clears throat> 35 in Christ scriptures, and then I compared them in on about 30 different translations, such as Amplified Bible and other translations. Uh, then uh, I ended up comparing them in 110 different translations. So every day I come home from school, mom said, what's going to do? I said, well, I'm going to have to study. I need to study for a while because I know that I'm going to be a preacher one day. And so I, I was 17. I said, so I'm going to have to study. So my mama, I said, don't bother me. Back in those days, you had a phone with a 20-foot length cord, you know. I said, I'm not going to be answering the phone for the next hour or two. And none of my friends, because they're the ones that I went to jail with. So none of my friends. <clears throat> so I'm going to be studying who I am. My identification or my identity, that I'm, I'm not what my mama made me, my past made me, my failures made me, come on, my experiences made me, but I am the workmanship of God created in Christ unto good works which he's before ordained that I should walk in. In other words, my identity will take me to my destiny. Yes. All right. So if the devil can challenge your identity, then he can mess up your destiny. And so he constantly challenged Jesus' identity, but Jesus, pretty confident who he was. And Jesus constantly confessed his identity. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of life. I am. The so Jesus constantly telling him, this is who I am. And he would say, and this is where I came from, and this is where I'm going. Well, if Jesus constantly acknowledged his identity and his destiny, then as believers, if we're going to follow in his footsteps, let's try it one more time. I said, as believers, if we're going to follow Jesus in his footsteps, then we must know our identity, who we are, where we came from, and where we're going. Amen. And we must constantly be conscious and acknowledge that 
our identification with Christ. Amen? So 2 Corinthians 5, 17, great scripture to start. And it says that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature. Now, while I started studying this, I came across a translation of Paul's letters by a man by the name of Arthur S. Way. Arthur S. Way. And that's all he translated was Paul's letters. Arthur S. Way in the beginning has comments about Paul's letters or Paul's revelation. Paul actually called himself a man in Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, Paul said, I knew a man in Christ. So I thought, what a tremendous statement there. He said, well, who's he talking about? Well, all the writers say he's talking about himself. I knew a man in Christ. He said, whether he's in the body or out of the body, I could not tell. Such a man ascended to the third heaven. He sounded like an astronaut here. So Paul referring to himself of what we would call Paul's revelation, which by the way, Paul's revelation was not really for Paul. It was really for every believer. So Paul's revelation, I knew a man in Christ, and that's who, how he refers to himself. But if you go to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, if any man be in Christ. Yes. Amen. All right, let's try that one more time. So he's not just talking about Something that's exclusively, be, exclusively his as an apostle. But Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, they become a new creature and old things pass away and everything becomes new. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So it's pretty phenomenal revelation that you become a new creature. And the word new means new in kind or it means new in quality. It literally means unheard of before, which simply means now that you're in Christ, God has made a new kind of human that never existed before. So you're not just a forgiven sinner. You're not just, well, someday when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. No, the moment you make Jesus your Lord, something happens on the inside of you. And God said, I'm going to put a new heart in you. I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I'm going to make you a new creation in Christ. The moment you make Jesus your Lord and a new nature or God's divine nature comes into you. Actually, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, throw that up there. I'm going through a lot here, just kind of the introduction, but. I'm, I'm assuming everybody here knows this, but it's bad to assume that, isn't it? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. Can you find that? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. And here's what it says, that you're a new creature in Christ. But here's what it says. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So what he's saying is when you make Jesus your Lord, you are joined to him and you become one spirit. So it's not your brain, it's not your body, but the real you, your spirit is joined to Christ. So the same life that's in Christ now flows in your spirit. So if you were to identify the part of you that actually became the new creature in Christ, it would be the real you, your spirit, man. We know you're made up of three parts, but your spirit is the part of you that now has received eternal life. Your spirit now has the life of God. Spiritual life. Amen? All right, go to Philemon verse 6. There's only one chapter in Philemon, so you don't have to look up the chapters. But Philemon verse 6, here's what it says. Uh, I'm going to wait for you if you want, all right? That the communication, 
The communication of your faith may become effectual by acknowledging every good thing that is in you in Christ. So he says the communication of your faith. Actually, other translations say um, for your faith to become communicative. In other words, for a disease to be communicative, it has to have certain symptoms. So other translations will say, I pray that everyone who meets you will catch your faith. In other words, you become contagious. So he says, for your faith to be in a communicative form, then you must know every good thing that's in you because you're in Christ. So instead of you catching what they got, then they catch what you got. So he says, for your faith to be effective, then you need to know, acknowledge, you need to know every good thing that's in you because you're in Christ. I think sometimes we think we're just being humble when we talk about every bad thing about ourselves. Well, well, you know, certainly we all need to humble ourselves, but the best thing you can do is to say, I need to acknowledge also that I'm washed in the blood, I'm a child of God, I'm a new creature in Christ, I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. The whole things have passed away and everything's become new. I go to Galatians 2.20. This is one of my favorites. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, because we're talking about your identification with Christ who you are in Christ. And, you know, in today's world, very interesting, that's how I guess some people think they can identify as whatever they want to be, you know. But, uh, identify, you know, some guy said, well, I think I'm a woman, I think I'm a man, I don't know. Somebody was identifying as a cat the other day, I mean. So uh, people got all kinds of confusions about their identification, you know. <laughs> well, now, it, it can be difficult in this world, but if you can find your identification with Christ, then you're no longer confused by what's going on in the world. You say, no, I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm, I'm the workmanship of God in Christ. So look at Galatians 2.20, and we're going to show you how that was produced. Y'all still with me here? Let me look at this side over here. I've got to talk about this till your eyes light up. How was that produced? How did that happen? How did that happen? All right, look at Galatians 2.20, and he's going to tell you exactly how that happened. Paul says, I am. So this is the King James translation. He says, I am. I am. I am. This is who I am. All right, so this is King James. I am. I am. In other words, who I am. Not who I'm trying to be. Not who I'm someday going to be. This is who I am. This was produced by the grace of God. Not my work. But this is what happened in Christ. I am. Crucified with Christ, not apart from him, because apart from him, it'd be so hard to pull off a resurrection. But if you were crucified with him, all right, let's try that again. Other translations say, Christ took me to the cross with him, and I died there with him. Are y'all sure? And sometimes you'll find somebody with an addiction or a problem in their life, maybe a personal problem or a situation that um, they'll say, I can never overcome that. All kinds of inferiority things, kind of like the guy, you know, that, that, that went to the psychiatrist, you know, and the psychiatrist said, well, what's your problem? He said, well, I'm, you know, inferiority complex, you know. He said, well, what's your problem? He said, well, I think I'm a dog. They said, well, how long have you had the problem? He said, well, since I was a puppy. He said, uh, 
get up on the couch and talk about it. He said, I'm not allowed. So, so a lot of times people, <laughs> it's a lot of times people you're trying to deal with the individual and it seems like their problem is more than just an attitude, more than just something you can fix with a change of thought. Y'all yeah. still with me? So they have really an identity problem. And sometimes they will say, I've even heard people say this before, nothing can fix this. Only death can fix this. Only when I die. So that's when a person is in a position to commit suicide or to take their own life. Only death can cure this. Well, you know, the devout Muslim has a prayer, and their prayer is, God, give me a death in which there is no life. And give me a life in which there is no death. Problem with a Muslim, he can only find that at the cross. He can only find that in the death and resurrection of Christ. Only Jesus can give you a death in which there is no life. And then give you a life in which there is no death. So how are you going to deal with a problem that somebody has that may be so deeply ingrained into their personality that they'll say, only death can stop this behavior. That behavior goes to the cross. And God said, I've provided a death for you whereby you can enter into that death, come on. And then Jesus was raised from the dead three days later, which means you don't even have to wait three days anymore. It's already taken place. So now in Christ, we have the answer to your problem. I was crucified with Christ, Paul said. So your problem was not just with the devil. All right, let's try that one more time. I said, I talk, I said we're, we're talking about your human ego and self-consciousness and I. In other words, God said, I'm going to have to do something about who you call I. That's a good question to ask people. Who, who you call I? Every time you say I, we would like to know who's talking. Let's try this out of it. Come on, every time you say I, describing yourself, who's talking here? Because I had a pastor friend, and so he wanted me to talk to him privately. So he starts talking to me about some of his problems. And we talked for probably about an hour, and I just listened. And I said, well, first of all, you have described yourself. And your problem is identical. You have said, I have this problem. I am this way. I am like this. And I have that problem. And I don't know when I'll ever be able to quit that. And I need to change. And I said, you, you just defined yourself, I. So I said, first of all, never let your struggle become your identity. I didn't say you don't have a struggle, but I want to know who is I when you're talking. Because if you can take your eye out and bring your eye over to what God has done for you in Christ, now it's no longer you trying to be something different. You just say, I was crucified with Christ. And crucified people don't survive. And so I die. Death will cure your problem. Oh, I feel like getting a hold of somebody. I said, whatever your problem is, death will cure it. Matter of fact, God said, uh, I don't even know if we can fix them. We'll just have to kill them. 
And until you change the identity, you're still trying to struggle with something that Jesus said I took care of. So what's your confession is I am crucified with Christ. I. Now, connected to this is Romans 6, 6. Y'all still with me? Y'all getting real quiet. I'm not going to go much longer unless I see you're not paying attention. But uh, I, let me talk to this side over here. These people are getting way too much attention. I, what would you say? Selfish I. I. Have you ever heard anybody talking about their self so much you're like, you're disgusting. <laughs> you keep talking about yourself, I'm trying to talk about myself. So, People are just consumed with talking about their self, thinking about their self. Nobody ever got depressed thinking about somebody else. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I'll go to Romans 6, 6 real quickly. Here it is. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Christ. Now, that's not your husband. Our old man, <laughs> that ain't your daddy. Our old man, our old man, really in Paul's letters, we only have two men in Paul's letters. One is called an old man, the other is called a new man. Really only two, two kinds of humans, the old brand and the new brand. But he said, our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth I should not serve sin. Our old man, our other translations say, my old man, the old person I used to be was crucified with Christ. That the body of sin might be destroyed. Every time you see somebody baptized in water, <laughs> what's that water baptism showing? Buried. Well, you don't bury people ain't dead. I mean, you, I hope not. I just, I mean, my dad did hundreds of funerals because he was a pastor in a small town. So he became the pastor of the whole community, right? So he did a bunch of funerals. And so sometimes he'd be talking to somebody and they'll say, he said, well, I just did so-and-so funeral. And they go, did they die? He's like, we sure hope so because we have already put them six feet under. So, so we, we, we sure hope they were dead. So water baptism is, is not designed to kill you. Now, they did try to baptize me several different ways, and they held me underwater for a while. But water baptism is because you're already dead, because you're buried. My old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed. Henceforth, I should not serve sin. So he goes on and says, so sin shall not have dominion over you. All right, sin, Satan, old habits. Come on, cannot dominate you because the old man, the old person you used to be was crucified. Dead and gone. Crucified with Christ. You still with me here? So other translation says my, my former evil identity was crucified with Christ. All right, let's try that one more time. My old man, 
My former evil identity was crucified with Christ. Well, all right, y'all hold steady, hold steady, hold steady now. Because how you got to be in Christ is what happened on the cross. So one writer, A.J. Gordon, I think it was, wrote the book called In Christ, and he said this, the events, we're talking about the cross, the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. The events that brought you into union with Christ, the events, how did you get to be in Christ? The events that brought you into union with Christ, how did you get in union with Christ? The events, what are the events? The cross, the crucifixion, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. The events that brought you into union with Christ. Are immortal in energy and limitless in application. All right, let's try that one more time. Just a little bit of theology there for you. In other words, how you got to be in union with Christ, the events that brought you in Christ are immortal in energy. What does that mean? There's enough power there to destroy death and produce immortality. There's enough power there. It's called eternal life, endless life. The events that brought you into union with Christ are immortal in energy and limitless in application. What does that mean, limitless in application? That means no matter what you're going through, you can take it to the cross, take it to the death of Christ, take it to his resurrection, take it to the blood, no matter what you're going through. I said no matter what you're going through, you can take it to the cross. Man, if the devil brings up something, you can say, I was crucified with Christ. The blood of Jesus has cleansed me from all sin. Amen. So the two words in Christ, how many times? Oh, we got to start all over, I see. So how many times? In Christ. Either if you're in Christ, you're never in crisis. You're in who? Christ, the anointed one, and his anointing. Now listen close. Every touch of the anointing. How many ever felt the anointing? How many of the anointing? How many ever felt the anointing? The anointing. Every touch of the anointing has the power to destroy your past identity. Every touch of the anointing can bring you back into the reality of your destiny. Every touch of the anointing. Every time you get in church, you're worshiping God, praising God. The anointing or the presence of God, you receive that anointing. It has that, uh, that kind of power to separate you from what you used to be. All right, let's try this side over. I said it has the power. I feel like, come on, slapping somebody right now. I'd, I'd grab somebody by the hair if anybody had any on the front row. I said, if, if this, <laughs> come on, the power of the anointing. <laughs> we can't find nobody in the front row. Let's see if I, so the power of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> come on, the power of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Because you're in Christ, the anointed one and his anointing. And the supply of that anointing destroys every yoke and sets you free. Hallelujah. So you're no longer bound and harassed and tormented by the devil. The anointing. The reality of that anointing. 
That's my old man. One translation says, my old sin-dominated personality was crucified with Christ. Boy, isn't that good to get rid of that old personality? Are y'all still here? Come on, y'all say, that's just left over in your peanut brain. Come on now. But your spirit, your identification with Christ, who you are and what you have in Christ, that's who I am. All right, T.L. Osmond said it this way. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I'm Christ lives in me. Anybody ever teach you when somebody's talking to you, look at their eyes? Nobody taught you that. It's, good, has, it's something good about communication. When I got kids, I got kids. If I'm talking to my kids, I said, don't be looking at the ground while I'm talking to you. You look at my face. Don't you understand your daddy? And when I brought you in, I can take you out and make another just like you. You understand? So I'm going to tell you. So you won't be doing that again. I'll snatch all the hair off your head. You understand? So, so yes. did that happen? Anyway, so you're my, my identification with Christ. <laughs> all right, let me get back to the front row here. Praise God. We got some kids on the front row. Look at me. Now, I'll go back to Galatians 2.20 because I got to finish up here a little bit. Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's no longer I. Well, what happened to I? Well, who I, when I say I, was crucified. That's why when you see the cross and the blood of Jesus, it goes beyond your mind and stirs your spirit. Because something happened there. That changes my whole identity. So Paul says, I was there. How many of y'all go to church on Easter? I mean, at least on Easter, right? Go to church on Easter. Yeah, Easter they sing, uh, were you there when they crucified my Lord? They sing that. They used to sing that when I was a kid. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And I'm like, I don't think I was there. If I was there, I don't think I did it. I didn't do it. But <laughs> that's a long way from here and it's a long time ago. And they say, oh, sometimes it caused me to tremble, right? Then they go, were you there when he was raised from the dead? Because if you were there when he was crucified, come on, if you were there in his death, then you were there in his resurrection. Uh-huh. Any of y'all know Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5? What does it say? 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for my transgressions, bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Are y'all still with me here? Come on, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded. With our sicknesses, our pains, our disease, when you see what happened on the cross, you say, that was my sickness, that was my disease, that was my sin, that was my curse, that was my shame. He took me to the cross, and I died there with him. Come on, the old person I used to be was crucified with Christ. Amen. So, so T.L. Osborne said it this way, little I moved out and big Christ moved in. Ah, I said, little I, come on, little I moved out. Come on, worried I moved out. Come on, tormented I moved out. Addicted I moved out. Come on, confused I moved out. Sick I moved out. And healed Jesus moved in. Come on. Defeated I moved out. And victorious Christ moved in. I was crucified with Christ nevertheless. Hey, I found out who I am. This is who I am. This is what I have. Woo, this is who I am. Come on, I'm not trying to get it. Not someday going to get it. Can't go to church long enough to get it. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Hallelujah. The grace of God. Amazing grace. Woo. Christ took me to the cross. Ah, come on, whatever is wrong with you, don't blame your daddy. Come on, don't blame your mama. <laughs> don't blame what happened to you because what happened to Jesus. I said, what happened to Jesus is greater. His grace is greater. Come on, his power is greater. So you don't have to live the rest of your life as a victim of if that hadn't happened to me, then I would be a different person today. No, but what happened to Jesus? Oh, y'all sure I said that what happened to Jesus on the cross? Surely he has born. He redeemed me. He became a curse for me. He became sin for me that I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Woo, y'all ought to get happy already. Say, woo, I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. And so the two words in Christ, praise the Lord. I know y'all are looking. The two words in Christ are what you'd call blood covenant term. Blood covenant terminology. Y'all still with me here? When God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, God said, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Abraham. And Abraham said, after that covenant, now I know that everything you said will be performed. In that covenant, God came down and made a covenant, a blood covenant with Abraham. And Abraham's name was changed from Abram to Abraham. Well, I took, you know, a Hebrew in, in Bible college, 
And I found out that Abram and the sound of God's name, that God literally put his name in the middle of Abraham. So it's no longer Abram, but it's God in Abraham now. All right, let's try that again. It's no longer who you are in your, God now has put himself in the middle of your identity and said, that's who you are. Now Christ lives in you. Your identification. It's blood covenant terminology. Blood covenant. There's power, wonder-working power. All right. The events that brought you into union with Christ are what? Immortal and energy. Limitless in application. Nothing in your life, no problem. Nothing you're dealing with. But what happened on the cross, it has been included. No matter what it is, physical, mental, emotional, financial, whatever it is, you take it to the cross. Amen. So T.L. Osmond said, little I moved out and big Christ moved in. Woo, how many glad little I moved out and big Christ moved in? Woo, man, it's no longer I that lives. It is Christ that lives in me. And he said, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. All right, let's try this out over here. The life that I now live. In the flesh, I live by what? The faith of the Son of God who what? Loved me and gave himself for me. Woo, lift your hands and thank God for the word. Hallelujah. I'm so glad I'm saved. Hallelujah. I'm born again. I'm washed in the blood. Thank you, Lord. I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Woo, give the Lord a shout. I said old things have passed away. Everything has become new, man. Glory to God. In Christ, in union with Christ, are engrafted into Christ. The only reason the Word of God can be engrafted in you is because you have the same DNA. It's true. In other words, the Word can be engrafted into you. Come on, there's no grafting without wounding, cutting, a graft. But with my grandson, Dylan, he got a stem cell bone marrow transplant, stem cell transplant. And so they took the, the stem cells of his older brother, Gavin, and they had grafted them into Dylan. <laughs> Look, if medical science could do that. Come on, the doctors. In other words, they basically told my grandson, there's no hope for you. No cure for you unless we take the stem cells of your older brother and engraft them into you. When they did, they told Dylan, your older brother Gavin, now y'all have the same DNA. He said, matter of fact, you have such the same DNA that if Gavin, the donor, committed a crime, Dylan, you could be convicted for it. Because you have the same identical DNA. 
Well, if you're a new creature in Christ, you can say, I got the same identical DNA. I was there, hallelujah. <laughs> and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen, the Spirit of God, I'm now in Christ, in union with Christ, engrafted into Christ, and now his life is in me. Ha ha. Go ahead and practice laughing for a minute and say, ha ha ha. That means victory's already mine. Praise the Lord. Say, what in the world is going on in my blood? Hallelujah. Amen. How many of you ever tried to get a big insurance policy? Y'all tried to get a, I did years ago, big insurance policy. You know what they wanted? They wanted blood, man. They want your blood. Then they send you a print out of your blood. You don't just have like three things in your blood. You got like five, six pages of stuff that's in your blood. <laughs> and your blood carries the evidence of every disease that you have ever overcome. Amen. They call them your immune, your antibodies. They call them memory cells. You know why they call your antibodies memory cells? Because they remember the disease they whipped last time. And if it shows up again this time, they say, we'll whoop you again because we whooped you last time. How many of y'all have antibodies of COVID? A bunch of you. I do. It tried to hit me more than once. I said, oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. You cannot stay in there. So your blood builds up antibodies, memory cells. So if anything that even looks like COVID shows up, my antibodies go, whooped you last time, we'll whoop you again this time. So imagine what kind of antibodies are in the blood of Jesus. Come on, he whooped it all last time. If it ever shows up again, he said, I whooped you last time, I whooped you again this time. I plead the blood of Jesus. Come on, I plead the blood over your marriage, over your family, over your future, over your finances, over your health. I plead the blood. Christ has redeemed us. So let me finish with the prepositions, all right? Prepositions. I haven't preached here in a year, so you know. Give me a little, extra, couple extra minutes. Because I love you. Just remember who loves you, baby. I love you. But I know some of you ain't going to see you again, so this is why you're getting extra. So the preposition, <laughs> nothing personal. I mean, I may not come myself, I wouldn't preach. So, honestly, so your identification with Christ, key to the gospel is in the preposition. That's what Arthur S. Way said. Well, when he said that, I thought, I should have paid attention to English class. <laughs> Prepositions, the key of the gospel is in the prepositions. So he said little words like uh, for, with, in, through, by, the key of the gospel. For, with, in, through, by. Key of the gospel is in the preposition. He said, but the English language is not constructed for a preposition to carry the kind of weight the gospel calls upon it to carry. So the prepositions break down under the weight and go almost unnoticed. Y'all got that? The prepositions go almost unnoticed. But he said, that's the key to the gospel. What does that mean? For, with, in, through, by. 
everything Jesus did, he did it for us. Come on, for in our behalf, for us. So we were identified with him. And now we are in him and through him and by him. We can do all things. Excuse me for my English lesson this morning. Hallelujah. You know, the prepositions carry the weight of the gospel. Wow. All right, I'm about finished. Lift your hands up. Father God, we thank you for your word. You sent your word and it healed us and delivered us, delivered us from our destructions. The entrance of your word gives light that we won't live in the darkness and confusion of our senses and our feelings and circumstances. But we open the word and we have the light, the light of God, the light of your word. Lord, we thank you that your word works mightily, that your word contains the power of all that Christ has done for us, that we are now new creatures in Christ. The workmanship of God created in Christ, made alive together with Christ, raised up with him, seated together with him. We thank you, Lord, for our position, our place, the reality of who we are in Christ. Every person in here today that will no longer fight our battles from a wrong identity, but we'll take our place in Christ. We'll take our place in his victory, seated with him. And we overcome from that place of who we are in Christ. In Jesus' name, everybody shout amen.